0: The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor, Reverend Sarah A. Speed, in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now here's Reverend Sarah A. Speed. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples He went on from there to teach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For our honeymoon, my husband and I were fortunate enough to spend some time in Italy. We could see the Alps towering over the horizon on certain parts of our trip. They were like nothing I have ever seen before. While there, I learned about an amazing piece of history regarding those mountains. In 1848, construction began on a railroad pathway through a portion of the Alps called the Simmering. The goal was to connect Vienna with Venice, allowing for easy transportation of goods and people from the coast to interior Europe. To no one's surprise, many said it could not be done. The mountains were too steep the risk of avalanche too great, the winter months too hard and long for construction, and the elevation far too high. But still, the project's designer, Karl von Gege, pressed on. After seven years of construction, the simmering rail line consisted of 14 tunnels, 16 viaducts, a hundred stone arches and 11 bridges. It had been worked on by 20,000 construction workers and had been the cause of 700 casualties, including Carl himself. But finally, the project once deemed impossible was complete. Europe had their first train, track crossing of the Alps, I can only imagine the celebrations that ensued when workers laid that final brick. The thing that amazes me most about this project, though, is not actually the construction itself, which is more than impressive. The thing that amazes me the most is the fact that when the simmering rail pass was built, there was not a train in existence capable of making that trip. That's right. At the time that Carl Von Gega built the track, there were no trains that could handle the steep elevation or the sharp turns through the mountains. Four different locomotives were tried and all four failed, forcing train companies to build and design a new train with the strict goal of surviving that mountain pass. Those 20,000 workers from Austria and Italy and Germany They came together day after day in miserable conditions to build a track for a train that did not yet exist. Which can only mean that those construction workers trusted and believed that someday a train would come. It takes a lot of hope to live like that. There are days when I have that much hope in the future, days where I feel like Carl Von Gaga, days where I am convinced that a train will come. But then there are other days, days where hope feels hard, days where I am more like John the Baptist in our text for today than I am like Carl. Days where it's not easy to hold on to hope. If you grew up going to Sunday school like I did, then you probably learned about John the Baptist at some point. You may have learned that John was a wilderness man, as seen on the cover of today's bulletin. A man who wore camel hair and ate locust and honey. You may have learned that John was a preacher and a prophet known for quoting Isaiah saying prepare the way of the Lord. Or maybe you heard the story about John baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. If you grew up going to Sunday school then you've probably heard John the Baptist story or two. But the chances are they didn't teach you this one because today's text is a version of John who is struggling to hold on to hope. Our text for today says that John the Baptist is locked away in prison. You see, John publicly criticized Herod, the ruler at the time, for marrying within Herod's own family. To no one's surprise, Herod didn't like that public scolding, so before too long, John finds himself in jail. We don't know how long John's been there or what the conditions are like. We don't know if he's hungry or scared, if he's alone or in a crowded cell with unwelcomed company. All we know is that some point in that prison sentence, John sends a message to Jesus. He asks, are you the one we've been waiting for or are we to wait for another are you the one or should we wait for another i don't think john is asking a simple yes or no question here i think john is asking jesus is it you or was i wrong all this time John is saying, is it you or will I die in this prison? Is it you or did I get my hope up too quickly? Jesus, is it you or will the promised day ever come? It's the kind of question we ask when we're running out of hope. Is it you, God, or should we wait for another? I imagine we all know that bottom of the barrel, low on hope kind of feeling. A few weeks back, I was on the phone with my pastor friend, Matt Connor. Matt has two little boys and the night before our phone call, a big thunderstorm had hit. As is common with toddlers, Matt's youngest son woke up to the sound of the storm and ran to find his parents seeking comfort from his fear. The next morning, Matt said, when all the boys were in the car together driving to daycare, Matt's youngest said out of the blue, that storm was scary, daddy. Matt said, yeah, it was scary, buddy, but remember, you're always safe inside your house. The toddler in the back seat thought about that for a moment, and then he whispered quietly from his car seat in the back of the van, but not outside? It was a question and a statement. You see, this conversation was happening just a few days after the Nashville Elementary School shooting. Matt's wife is a teacher. They had had the news on in the house, watching the updates, sharing in our nation's communal fear. The boys had clearly seen it. Kids understand so much more than we realize sometimes. So when Matt said to his son, you're always safe inside, buddy, his son replied, but not outside. We know what it feels like to run out of hope. As a parent, I imagine hearing your child whisper that kind of truth is enough to siphon the hope right out of you. I imagine it's enough to make you want to run to Jesus and ask, is it you or should we wait for another? Jesus, is this the plan you had in mind? Will it ever get better? Was I wrong all this time or will the promised day ever come? We know what it feels like to run low on hope. And I think that's why we need our text for today. John is barely hanging on when he says, Jesus, is it you? Tell me it's you. And Jesus doesn't delay. Jesus receives John's message with the tenderness of a parent whose child is afraid of thunder. And he sends word back to John saying, the blind are receiving their sight and the lame can walk. Jesus says, John, the dead are raised and the poor have good news. Some of this is language from Isaiah, language John would have loved and known. Some of it is just Jesus telling John what he sees, but all of it is language of hope. In other words, when John finds himself locked up in jail, hope wavering, we see a Christ who treats him with tenderness and who paints a picture of the good news that is right outside his walls. Friends, if I understand the text, this moment in scripture shows us what it's like when when the world disappoints us, when suffering erodes our hope and change. And in that vulnerable moment, When the promised day feels out of reach for you, and me, and John the Baptist, we see a Christ who does not give up. When John can't hold on to hope, Jesus holds on to it for him. When John can't see the change, Jesus points out the change for him. When John asks, is it you, Jesus says, ask the blind, they can see. Jesus holds on to hope for John, when John is unable to hold on to hope for himself. And I think that's part of our call as people of faith. When I was in college in Richmond, Virginia, I began to wonder if maybe one day I would want to work for a church. So like a true professional, I wrote a letter to every single Presbyterian church in the zip code, begging someone to hire me. My job experience at that point was dog walker and babysitting my younger brother, so it's a Christmas miracle that someone did. I got a job working at a small Presbyterian church in town with a warm and friendly congregation. At the time I was hired, that church did not have a youth group. So I asked my new boss, can I start a youth group? And with his blessing, I began gathering together all the teenagers that were there every Sunday. It wasn't long after I arrived that one of those students, we'll call her Kate, ended up in the hospital. Kate had made a suicide attempt which thanks be to God had failed. And it was there in the hospital as she woke up in the recovery wing that Kate confessed to her mom that she had been enduring bullying unbeknownst to the family. Kate ended up in a treatment program, a therapy center that could help her unpack her trauma and heal. And during that time, the church formed a small care team that wrote letters to Kate. It included people like Kate's confirmation mentor and her childhood Sunday school teacher and Mr. Franklin who sat in the pew behind her family every single Sunday. And that small care team, they took turns writing a letter every single week to Kate as long as she was in the hospital. After Kate got discharged, she shared with me that there were days and weeks at the beginning of her treatment where she was convinced that she would never feel good again. There were days and weeks where she was convinced that the scars would be the first thing that she saw and that the trauma would always be on the front of her mind. But the church kept writing letters. They told her, you are not alone and we are not giving up on you. They told her, we hold on to hope that better days will come. And they didn't quote Isaiah exactly, but I bet their letters sounded a lot like Jesus's message to John because they believed in a world where the sick could be healed. They believed in a world where the poor could get good news and even the dead could come back to life. Kate couldn't see it then. Her jail cell bars were too thick, so until she was able to hold on to hope for herself, the church held on to hope for her. It's what Jesus did for John, and I think it's what Jesus wanted the church to do for Kate. Because today, dozens of letters and many years later, Kate has a chocolate Labrador, a niece, a group of friends, a college degree, and a joy that she did not know then. And I know from talking to her, that Kate could not have gotten to that new day without people in her corner insisting that it existed. She could not have gotten to that new day without the church holding on to hope for her. So friends, there are two things I want us to remember from this text for today. The first is that if you are ever in a season of life where it feels hard to hold on to hope, a season where the mountains feel too steep and the thunder sounds too loud and the scars cut too deep, a season where, like John the Baptist, all you can see is the jail cell bars in front of you, then know that you are not alone. Those rock bottom moments exist in scripture. You are not alone. So when those days do come, and this is the second thing I want you to remember, when you have days where you feel more like John the Baptist than Carl Von Gaga, days where you are disappointed in God or frustrated with your faith or the Alps feel impassable, then let us, your church, hold on to hope for you. When you can't, let us. It's what we see Jesus do for John the Baptist in this passage, and it's one thing we can do for each other when the road gets hard. When John was running out of hope, Jesus told him about the promised day. If you're running out of hope, then let us tell you about a train that rides through the Alps and about a girl named Kate who came back to life. Let us tell you about the glimpses of good and joy that we see in our own lives. And just like Jesus did for John, let us tell you about a God who gives good news to the poor and sight to the blind, because sometimes we just need someone else to hold on to hope for us when we cannot. John asked, is it you Or should I wait for another? I know he's not the only one asking that question. So church, tell each other what you see. Tell the world what you see and speak loudly. Because this is part of our call as people of faith. To hold on to hope for each other. It's all that easy and it's all that hard. Thanks be to God for reason to hope in the first place. Amen. Family of faith, as you leave, go holding on to hope and telling each other what you see, for there is good news outside these walls. And as we leave this place, may we love as if love is not a scarcity, May we hope like there is a better tomorrow. May we live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may we trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, Please visit fapc.org/give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.